Malls, also known as the endless labyrinths of consumerism, have kept Americans' shopping appetite sustained for decades. With the rapid growth of online shopping, malls are at greater and greater risk of closing, especially post-COVID. With the decline of malls also comes the decline in the little thought about mall food. But will mall food be able to sustain itself in the potential mall-free world? Or is this the decade that puts an end to mall cuisine? Welcome to Spoonable Standpoint, the podcast where your hosts, Leo and Charlene, dig into food culture. In this episode, we'll be discussing how mall foods have changed and possibly benefited American malls, and what the next evolution might be. With the recent decline of malls, is mall food a relic of the past or will it be a part of our futures? Is there something that might replace it? But first, how did malls grow and leave its mark on American culture, and how did the iconic treats you'll find in most American malls come to be? Marketplaces, downtowns, and town squares have been community gathering places for millennia. They were where children would play while their parents would shop for their day, and where communities would exchange ideas and spread culture. But in 1950s America, convenience and class was placed above all else. Could we have something that is extremely convenient for everyone, but serves the same function as a marketplace? That's the question that Victor Gruen asked himself in the early 1950s when thinking of a brand new venture. What he came up with was an indoor downtown with boutiques and stores resembling a marketplace, and a fountain and gathering space resembling a town square. His goal was to encourage people to meet each other and communicate in the age of automobiles. When he opened the first mall in Adida, Minnesota in 1956, it had all that and more. Some may argue that these malls far surpassed most town squares, as it was adorned with a bird sanctuary, restaurants, a goldfish pond, and various other entertainment outlets. Unsurprisingly, it was a hit right away, and the people of the area flocked to this new and exciting thing, so much so that it was an attraction on similar levels to Disneyland, which opened only a few years before. This new mall, which he named Southdale Center, had almost 200,000 visits within a week of opening. Of course, this was on national radar due to its popularity, and within the following years, more malls similar to the Southdale Center opened all across America. By 1960, there were 4,500 malls across America, which meant that malls were created at a phenomenal rate. But with popularity comes people who wanted to make just as much money without spending much. This meant that more malls with cheaper food courts and more consumerism were brought up, completely contradicting Gruen's original community-building vision. Nonetheless, by 1975, malls made up 33% of all retail sales, not only boosting the economy, but the social impact of malls as well. The popularity of malls grew and grew up until 1992, when the Mall of America in Bloomington, Minnesota opened. Unlike other malls, this rightly named Mega Mall had more than stores and arcades. It had an amusement park inside of it, and even an aquarium. With its incredible success, many more mega malls opened all across America. But as the popularity of malls expanded, some stores decided that it would be a good idea to make their store a staple of malls, whether or not that was their original goal. 
And we can see many cases where malls have truly left a really important mark on American culture. From films, to advertisements, to even board games. You can see malls and many entertainment outlets in American culture, outside of just our own individual experiences. But malls have definitely seeped into the social culture of America. My mom told me that, and she was a kid in the 80s, when malls were incredibly popular, where she lived, the mall was like the best place to go because you could see your friends, you could do whatever you wanted, you could shop. And because of its versatility with what you can do there, it really did create that atmosphere, attracted a lot of people. And as we know about anything that's popular, it causes media to go crazy for it. So as you were saying before, Charlene, it caused that social rise of malls created more films about teenagers in malls, more games about being in a mall. And it's strange that something so integral in American culture was created by Gruen because Gruen was an Austrian immigrant that came to America, especially since he came here with no money or little knowledge of English. So it's shocking that something so American was created by somebody who was not born and raised here. But I guess... Like many things in America, that is the case. But let's discuss exactly which stores were at the forefront of the battle against mall hunger. Ann Byler, the auntie behind the famous pretzel, opened her first stand in a farmer's market in Pennsylvania in 1988. Although Auntie Ann's would grow and become a pretzel icon, it was not their most marketed or even most popular product. Their stand sold foods from pizza to hot dogs, alongside pretzels that didn't sell well. They were so unpopular that Anne even said that she was thinking of taking them off the menu. But when she told her husband this, he was having none of it. They had gone through immense struggles together, from losing their baby daughter in a tractor accident to almost losing their marriage. So Jonas, Anne's husband, was determined to make sure that it stayed on track because he knew the potential. He tweaked her pretzel recipe with a secret, undisclosed ingredient that he found at the grocery store. Many experts agree that this secret ingredient was just sugar, but it still left lasting effects on the business. Once added, the stand was incredibly popular, especially with their new pretzels. Soon, other people began opening other Auntie Anne stands all around the Lancaster County area, which grew their business even more. But right off the bat, more stands were opening in malls in the area. During the early 90s, when the brand was growing tremendously, malls were the most popular place. So opening in them meant more foot traffic and more sales. They grew incredibly fast and are one of the most popular stores in malls, with over 1,300 locations reported in 2017. But unlike Auntie Anne's, Cinnabon, the leader in cinnamon rolls, had its start in the mall. In 1985, Cinnabon opened its first stand in the SeaTac Mall in Seattle and was an instant hit. The father and son who started it, Rich Komen and Greg Komen, sought the world's finest cinnamon to make the world's finest cinnamon roll. The two took many trips to Indonesia to find the perfect cinnamon and came back with Makaro cinnamon, a blend of the Karinji cinnamon. Now equipped with the best cinnamon roll in the world, Cinnabon was an instant success, so much so that they became an ingrained part of American culture in just a few decades. Their growth did not stagger for a long time, because between 2013 and 2017, Cinnabon went from selling 100 million rolls to a year to selling 1 billion rolls per year. But why is it Cinnabon with an O 
not a U. Well, Rich Coman said it's because B-U-N implies something savory, while B-O-N moves it towards a sweeter image. But surprisingly, the original idea was not Coman's. The first Cinnabon was supposed to be a franchise of a cinnamon roll food truck outside the Ward Parkway shopping center in Kansas City, which was called TJ Cinnamons, and they made delicious cinnamon rolls. But as they got closer to opening the second location, the deal went through. But Coman already leased the location, so he decided to start a new company with a new cinnamon roll, and Cinnabon was born. These two mall icons, Cinnabon and Auntie Anne's, came together with other popular brands like Carvel to create a larger franchising company called Focus Brands in 2001. It seems almost strange that the two popular mall brands conglomerated since it's a perfect addition to a podcast episode about mall food, but nonetheless, Focus Brands helped popularize the companies even more. But with the recent closing of many malls, there's still a very important question to be asked. Will their popularity stay here forever? Personally, with the closing of so many malls and the fact that malls are getting a lot less popular nowadays, I think mall food will not be as popular in the coming years. Even before COVID, uh, malls are on the on the decline because of online shopping, and malls aren't <laughs> malls aren't the most fun to go to um, because they're very migraine-inducing, very dizzying. But and especially with COVID, it obviously didn't get any better (laughs) because who wants to be trapped in a concrete box packed together like sardines where you might get a very fatal virus so malls are definitely on on the decline and my opinion mall food is on the decline like mall food doesn't really have any other place it can go in my opinion sure cinnabon and, and auntie anne's can open food trucks maybe but there are like 20 other food trucks in each city that make the best cinnamon roll, the best pretzels in the world. And, and you can't really compete with that, especially since it's a big corporate machine and people like helping small businesses a lot more. Auntie Anne's and Cinnabon definitely have their popularity and their reputation from being in so many malls and having that foot traffic that they have because of that. However, I agree with what you said. Alone, they probably wouldn't be able to last. I mean, who would go to a restaurant just for pretzels and since they'd end up having to go for either like a food truck or an actual store a lot of the time those can be a lot more expensive to operate and to keep open and not only that but they'd also have to compete with not only other food trucks they'd also have to compete with every other restaurant in the area auntie Anne's and cinnabon those kinds of places kind of serve as more of a pick-me-up than an actual meal. It's not like you're going to, like, <laughs> leave what you're doing to get a massive cinnamon roll on your lunch break. It's something to kind of keep you going, which it has for mall goers. I can see what you're talking about, especially with somewhere like Sparrows. Sparrows really are only in malls and airports. The thing about Sparrows is it's pretty expensive. It's like $5 for a slice of pizza, which is absolutely insane. In New York City, there are like 
90 places where you can get a $1 pizza that's just as good as Sparrow's, <laughs> if if not better at some places. Definitely the convenience of just having that and having the option of getting pizza. You're like, eh, sure, why not? I'm already here. I'm lost in this mall. I have no idea where I am. I have no idea where the exit is. So if I'm going to be in here for another two hours, may as well get something to eat. So I, I do see where you're coming from. And now that you mentioned Sabaros, I definitely think it's a prime example of a chain that depended on malls for their success and for their failure. Sabaros is a brand that used malls and their already pre-existing foot traffic to grow. Initially, they were pretty small and even started out as a deli, but now they're kind of synonymous with malls and airports. However, what ended up happening was they grew too fast and their selling point, which was their convenience, meant that the food was sitting out for a while for you to be able to get it that quickly. So that kind of went out of the window as well. Combined with what you mentioned before, the fact that it's like $5 a slice for a mediocre slice, it can't even compete with other stores in the same mall. It doesn't stand a chance as an actual independent store. Yeah, and exactly what you're saying. It really isn't the best pizza you'll ever have. So if it has to go in a space outside of a mall where there are a ton, <laughs> beyond a ton, of pizza places that um, that range from pretty to really good, they won't be able to keep up with that, I don't think. Especially if they are trying to keep that convenience of getting a slice. So... I think to look at where mall food will be going in the future, we have to look at some of these more futuristic malls. So one that really comes to mind is Hudson Yards in in Manhattan. If you've never been to Hudson Yards, it's been going up for years, they've been building it for years, all these super tall skyscrapers. But it really is just one giant community where there's to be a bunch of residential spaces, but also office spaces. Most importantly, shopping spaces. A lot of people come to New York for the shopping experience. And even though malls are on the decline, places like Hudson Yards might only be on the incline because people come to New York to shop and they would love to go somewhere new and modern to shop. And what I've seen in Hudson Yards is a lot of these smaller restaurants opening. Obviously, a lot of them are very high-end small restaurants, (laughs) but they're small restaurants nonetheless. You're not really going to see a McDonald's there. You might see some weird restaurant there that you've never heard of that doesn't exist anywhere else. So when I think of the future of malls, especially mall food, what I think of is a more a food market. And there, and there is one in, in Hudson Yards, right under all the, the stores and stuff. There's this really cool food market that has pretty much like any food you want. You walk through it, get what you want from whatever cuisine you want, kind of like Boston Market um, or Essex Street Market, also in Manhattan. I think those kind of, I guess, food malls are more on the rise, especially because they're very social media friendly. You can just go up to the server and be like, hey, can I have uh, three tacos? They'll give you three tacos pretty quickly, too. Those, those spaces are not slow. Give you three tacos pretty quickly, take a picture of it, don't even have, have to eat it. And it's a influencer's dream because you have like two weeks of content right there. So I think those kind of food courts are definitely on the rise versus the ones like... Auntie Anne's or Cinnabon or especially Sparrow's, all those kind of mall foods, I think will slowly become irrelevant. But again, that's only because malls are on the decline. If malls suddenly become on the incline again and they become popular the way they are now, 
yeah, those stars are not going anywhere for a long, long, long time. But I think we can see with the, with the rise of these food markets that people are looking for more quality nowadays, especially if they want to post it on, on Instagram. Food markets really do hit that sweet spot between small business and trendy niche food that really make its way across social media and things like that. However, malls themselves are likely going to change their food courts into something more like that. Mall owners are beginning to dedicate more and more space toward food as it drives foot traffic and is a pretty important factor in the shopper's decisions. Around 40% of people choose a mall depending on the available food options, so it really gives mall owners a big opportunity to bring traffic back into malls. Having a trendy small business food spot there will inevitably draw social media attention and bring more visitors. I mean, you made your way all the way to a mall. I mean, might as well shop. That's what a lot of people are likely going to be saying. These new places are going to be what they call food halls with sit-down restaurants and bars and healthier, more inclusive options. Before, foods like Auntie Anne's and Cinnabon kind of served as a pick-me-up, but these places are definitely something that have plenty of potential to change the mall experience. However, I don't think Auntie Anne's and Cinnabon is going away. The type of consumer they're reaching for, I think, is pretty different. If you're here for the trendy new social media spot, you're, you're going to be able to get it within these new food halls. However, if you're just there looking for a pick-me-up or just walked by the amazing smelling store and just want to get a pretzel, I think that option will be there as well. In many malls I've been to, there's always like at least two Auntie Anne's and people lined up all the way across just because of how delicious it is and how they need a sort of pick-me-up. Like you said, malls are kind of tiring and dizzying. And that's kind of that sugar rush you need to be able to get yourself back on your feet. But in the end, as for the future, I think they lie more in these food halls, which are already on the rise. Yeah, as you were saying, they're already on the rise. When I was picturing, you know, food courts of the future, I was really just <laughs> going back to what we have now. Even now, you'll see on Instagram some influencer or even some mall with some food market in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, from a restaurant called like Pig's Fart. And it has like the best dim sum they said they'll ever have. So if we have that reality now, then I wonder what it'll be like in the future where these malls kind of become more um, like tasting menus rather than shopping experiences. But then again, we have to think, well, a lot of those big stores wouldn't want... <laughs> restaurants to replace them because then they won't make as much money. But I think if you have a food market rather than a shopping market, but still a place where you can hang out with, with, with people, has fountains, maybe, maybe a few cute small stores, I think that will appeal more, drive more people there, especially people who want to post things on Instagram that can drive the businesses. So we'll definitely have to see <laughs> what happens over time. But do you think, Charlene, that malls could survive without the mall foods like Auntie Anne's or Cinnabon or Sparrows? I definitely don't think so. I mean, of course, some people do go to malls just to shop. 
But the food makes the experience a lot better for many people. People who eat in malls are found to spend an average of 35 more minutes in them, which actually to me was shockingly low. I mean, at least for me, once I ate a delicious meal, I'll be able to walk around for a little longer, clear my head a little bit, and keep going. And because of that experience I've had at that mall, I would be more willing to come back if I had a delicious meal there. <laughs> and going back to what you were saying about how stores wouldn't like it, I think stores would like it even more. You have not only the people who are there just to shop to begin with, but you're also having a new crowd of people here to try the new and trendy food options that the malls have there. Of course, these are going to drive more foot traffic. So the areas near the stores are probably going to become much more valuable and make a lot more money because of these areas. And a lot of people are going to be able to benefit from this. Now, I can't say these food halls will revive malls altogether, but they definitely have a really strong potential to. Yeah, I mean, in my experience, what I've found is that most of the uh, Auntie Anne's and stuff, they're all kind of deep within the mall. So I think those 35 minutes, those extra 35 minutes you spend on average don't necessarily account for you want to keep going. At least for me, it's just I get completely lost. It takes me 35 minutes to get back to the car. But yeah, I agree with you. I don't think that malls could survive without it. Maybe they could, but they would generate a lot less revenue. Because if you're full, you have a much happier attitude. And it makes you want to go into maybe a new store you've been to. Or um, go into go to the other side of the mall to try to find that store you've spent 30 minutes looking for. But for some reason, is not where they say it is. But I think that... The future of mall food will definitely be those small, trendy restaurants. But I also think because of those small businesses, it will attract other small businesses. So I think malls will kind of become what Victor Gruen wanted them to be. Like a downtown with a bunch of cute boutiques. It could be a marketplace where you can get small, locally made stuff. And you can sit down at a trendy restaurant. But... If people start going to malls again, it might just stay how it has since the 70s and 80s and might just become, and might get three other mega malls that make as much money as the Mall of America did. But I find that more unlikely. So yeah, I think we just have to wait and see what happens. And definitely, we can't forget about Gruen's vision. Although he kind of ended up hating what the mall became as he saw many of them become geared toward earning profit. With the rise of these niche, trendy food halls, there's likely going to be more people coming back to enjoy that experience together. A big factor of the decline of malls was online shopping and big companies like Amazon. But while you can order that t-shirt you wanted online, what you can't get are those new experiences you get by enjoying a delicious meal with people and trying that new amazing looking spot that you saw online. And while that might not be the motivation for everyone, it sure is something that you can't just add to your cart online. So what does mall food have to do with how popular malls are? Everything. Does it stand a chance out in the doggy dog world of trendy restaurants and food trucks? Probably not. But the future of mall food is not dim in the slightest. 
We are already seeing more food markets opening that are becoming more popular by the second, especially because they are small businesses that are Instagram worthy. Although they may not be in malls yet, those trendy restaurants might start showing up in seemingly dying malls near you. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Spoonable Standpoint. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Spoonable underscore Standpoint for our latest updates, link to our website, and other bonus content. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to share. We release a new episode every other Friday, and we'd hope to see you there.